Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skiophonic Podcast, the home of short stories for lifelong learners. Hi, guys. What is Skiophonic? Well, it's a huge collection of thought-provoking short stories. They're true. They're fun. And as it turns out, they just might make you more interesting. Skiophonic started out in the mind of an ER doctor looking for a way to learn while exercising. He was creative and full of ideas, but his voice was not well-suited for narration. So he teamed up with the latest AI tech and formed a collaboration that has blossomed into an audiobook, a mobile app, and this podcast. You know, whatever the platform, these stories are the perfect way to fill those free gaps of time in your schedule with content that is both interesting and productive. So thanks for joining us, and please check out the website. That's www.skiophonic.com or download the app on Apple or Google Play stores. Great. Now let's see what stories are lined up for us today. Andrew? Hi, guys, and hello again, listeners. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. Today we'll change up the topic to Worldscapes and Wonders. These are stories about places on our planet that you may not have heard of before, but they're fascinating and worth learning about. Plus, as a bonus, we'll be playing a quick History of Skiophonic. You know, where we came from and perhaps where we're headed. So, buckle up, turn up the volume, and prepare to get more interesting. This is the sound of Skiophonic. North Sentinel Island. Ever daydreamed about a getaway to a tropical island? Imagine a paradise far from the hustle and bustle of modern life. Vibrant coral reefs and shimmering turquoise waters. Sounds enticing, right? Well, I have one in mind, but you might want to hear this story first before booking your trip. Welcome to North Sentinel Island. Located in the Bay of Bengal, North Sentinel Island is part of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, a chain of islands that belong to India. This island, about the size of Manhattan, is covered in dense forests and surrounded by coral reefs. But it's not its size or geography that makes it unique. It's the inhabitants. North Sentinel Island is home to the Sentinelese, one of the world's last uncontacted tribes. The Sentinelese have lived on their island for an estimated 60,000 years, and they don't exactly roll out the welcome mat for visitors. From shooting arrows at low-flying aircraft to attacking anyone who dares approach their shores, the Sentinelese have made it clear that they wish to remain undisturbed. These hunter-gatherers are known to make tools and weapons from materials available on the island, such as metals scavenged from washed-up shipwrecks. They live in huts made of palm leaves, hunt local wildlife, and fish in the surrounding waters. Attempts to contact the Sentinelese have been few and far between. In 1974, a National Geographic film crew tried to visit the island, only to be met with a hail of arrows. One even hit the director in the thigh. In 2006, two fishermen who accidentally drifted near the island were killed. In 2018, a young American missionary named John Allen Chow tried to visit the island in hopes of converting the tribe to Christianity. The Sentinelese said no to Jesus and no to Chow. They killed him. Unfortunately, his body was never recovered. Because of the tribe's hostility to outsiders, very little is known about the Sentinelese's language, culture, or number. Estimates suggest there could be anywhere from 50 to 400 individuals. The Indian government, recognizing the tribe's desire for isolation and their vulnerability to diseases, 
has made it illegal to approach closer than five nautical miles to the island. So, next time you're dreaming of a remote island getaway, remember North Sentinel Island. It might be beautiful, but its residents value their privacy, and they have the arrows to prove it. Lake Vostok. Allow me to tell you about a lake. We probably won't be able to visit it anytime soon, and fishing and water skiing are definitely out of the question, but it is both a remarkable place and fascinating story. Lake Vostok is not your average lake. Located in the heart of East Antarctica, it's roughly the size of New Jersey, making it one of the largest lakes in the world by volume. But what truly sets it apart is its location. Its chilly waters are buried beneath a tremendous ice sheet two and a half miles thick, shielded from the world for perhaps up to 25 million years. The discovery of Lake Vostok reads like a scientific detective story. It began in the 1970s when British scientists noticed anomalies in airborne radar surveys of Antarctica. Then, in the 1990s, Russian and French scientists confirmed the existence of the lake using seismic and radar data. However, it was only in 2012, after meticulous planning and drilling, that Russian scientists were able to reach the lake's surface and collect samples, a tremendous feat of engineering and perseverance. You may be asking, in these frigid conditions, why aren't the waters of Lake Vostok frozen? The answer points to a combination of factors. The primary reason is the tremendous pressure exerted by the overlying ice sheet, estimated to be about 3,000 times greater than atmospheric pressure. This causes the freezing point of water to be depressed, allowing the lake's water to remain in a liquid state, even at temperatures below the normal freezing point of fresh water. Geothermal heat from the Earth's interior contributes as well. Despite the harsh conditions, researchers have discovered microbial life in the waters of Lake Vostok. This includes bacteria and other microorganisms, which have adapted to the extreme environment. This makes the lake a perfect laboratory for the study of extremophiles, organisms adapted to survive in such otherworldly conditions. Exploration of Lake Vostok has involved robotic submersibles to collect samples and study the lake's unique ecosystem. The lake's conditions of high pressure, constant cold, low nutrient content, and complete darkness may resemble those of the icy moons of Jupiter and Saturn. This makes Lake Vostok a fascinating research center for astrobiologists studying the potential for extraterrestrial life. Lake Vostok is also a window into Earth's climatic past. The ice above the lake contains tiny air bubbles entrapped over hundreds of thousands of years. By analyzing these, scientists can understand past atmospheric conditions, helping to model climate change and predict its future impact. Exploring Lake Vostok is like unearthing a time capsule from a distant past. In this icy realm, every discovery unravels a story about our planet's history and potential futures, about life's resilience and about the vast mysteries that lie waiting beneath our feet, or in this case, beneath tons of Antarctic ice. As our understanding of this hidden world expands, one can't help but marvel at the wonders of our remarkable planet. New York. Here's the story of a town that was birthed in the realm of imagination and was never intended to be real. Yet, somehow, it became real. Well, at least for a little while. 
but now it's non-existent again. Are you confused yet? Okay, let's back up, and I'll explain. The story of Aglo begins in the 1930s with two innovative mapmakers, Otto G. Lindbergh and Ernest Alpers, who were partners in the General Drafting Company. To protect their work from copyright infringement, cartographers often inserted fictitious entries known as copyright traps into their maps. The idea was that if one of these paper towns ever appeared on someone else's map, the original mapmakers could claim copyright infringement and seek legal retribution. Aglo was one such place, a fictional hamlet in upstate New York, which Lindbergh and Alpers created by scrambling their initials to form the name. For decades, Aglo existed only on paper until, in an ironic twist, it leaped from fiction into reality. In the 1950s, a couple, entranced by the idea of setting up a business in a remote location, stumbled upon Aglo on a map. Oblivious to its imaginary origins, they went to the very coordinates where the fictitious town was and opened up the Aglo General Store. Suddenly, this fictitious town had a physical manifestation, complete with a postal code. When Rand McNally, a rival map company, included Aglo in its New York map, Lindbergh and Alpers saw an opportunity to unveil their clever trap. They filed a lawsuit for copyright infringement. But Rand McNally had a solid defense. They pointed out that Aglo was indeed a real place. Why look, there's even a general store there. The lawsuit was dropped and Lindbergh and Alpers were perplexed. For a few years, Aglo ebbed and flowed in and out of existence. Some houses were built near the general store, but eventually it went out of business and all the residents moved away. By the late 20th century, Aglo had once again become a ghost, existing only on old maps and in the memory of the area's oldest inhabitants. Aglo's brief and strange journey from fiction to reality and back again serves as a fun example of life-imitating art. So, if you're ever in upstate New York, driving down State Route 206, just north of Roscoe, make sure to stop and visit Aglo. And if you can't find it, just pull out your phone. Because while the town may no longer exist in reality, it still exists on Google Maps. Quick! Somebody tell Lindbergh and Alpers. Snake Island. If ever there was an island in this world that should have do not enter signs staked around its perimeter, it's this one. Illa de Queimada Grande, more commonly known as Snake Island is a small island located off the coast of Brazil in the Atlantic Ocean. Its name is a chillingly accurate descriptor of its primary inhabitants, about 4,000 golden lancehead vipers, one of the most venomous snakes in the world. The island itself is approximately 106 acres. It features rocky terrain, rainforest, and bare rock outcrops. No humans inhabit the island and for good reason. On this piece of land, the lancehead viper is king. It is the only species of snake on the island, and the island is the only place in the world where this animal is found. The viper density on the island is staggeringly high, with estimates of one snake per every square meter. It's believed that the snakes were trapped on the island thousands of years ago, when rising sea levels disconnected it from the mainland. With no predators to worry about, the vipers thrived, and their population exploded. The golden lancehead viper has a venom five times more potent than its mainland relatives, and it has evolved to be uniquely fast and agile in the island's treetops. The venom is so potent, in fact, that it can kill a human in under an hour. This adaptation is the result of the viper's diet, which consists primarily of migratory birds. You see, the potency of the viper's strike kills quickly, before the birds can fly away. 
One chilling tale that cements the island's terrifying reputation involves a hapless fisherman. As the story goes, he unknowingly ventured too close to Snake Island, attracted by the bountiful fishing grounds in the surrounding waters. The man dropped anchor for the night, planning to sleep on his boat before continuing his fishing at dawn. However, while he slept, golden lanceheads are believed to have swarmed his boat. Drawn by the warmth, they slithered over him. The fisherman was bitten multiple times and died. Visiting the island is strictly regulated by the Brazilian government now, and only a select few researchers are granted access each year. Despite this, Snake Island continues to fascinate and terrify, its deadly allure proving enduringly potent. Would you like to visit? No? Me neither. Disneyland. If you were given the job of creating the happiest place on Earth, where would you even start? An orange grove in Southern California? Well, Walt Disney had a vision of what it would take to complete this task. He transformed his dreams and imagination into a place of magic and wonder that we all could enjoy. And he called it Disneyland. Walt, already a renowned animator and film producer, wanted to create a place where adults and children could enjoy themselves together a place that was a complete departure from the typical amusement parks of the time. Despite critics dubbing his ambitious project as Walt's Folly, Disney pressed forward. After considering several sites, Disney settled on a 160-acre orange grove in Anaheim, California. The construction, which began in 1954, was a massive undertaking. In just one year of around-the-clock work, the grove was transformed into a magical kingdom. The cost? $17 million dollars a considerable fortune in those days. Disney recruited some of his studio's design specialists, dubbing them Imagineers, and asked them to create several themed lands, each with its own unique attractions. Adventureland, Frontierland, Fantasyland, and Tomorrowland all surrounded the iconic Main Street USA, which led to the centerpiece of the park, Sleeping Beauty's Castle. Walt had a special place in his heart for a few certain attractions, including the Disneyland Railroad and Tom Sawyer's Island, which he personally designed. Disney even had a private apartment above the fire station on Main Street. He would often stay there overnight and watch guests enjoy the park from the window. When Disneyland opened its doors on July 17, 1955, the admission price was just $1. The event was televised on ABC and watched by an estimated 90 million people, nearly half the population of the United States. Despite the hype, opening day at the park did not go smoothly, and later became known as Black Sunday. Many of the rides malfunctioned, and a counterfeit ticket scandal led to over double the expected guests. You know the Mark Twain riverboat? It sank on its very first voyage due to being overloaded. A plumber's strike meant there was no drinking water and the day was hot, making the recently laid asphalt on Main Street so soft that women's high-heeled shoes sank into it. One interesting anecdote from the early days involves the famous Disneyland Autopia ride. The original cars, which cost more to build than actual cars, didn't have bumpers. The ride was intended to teach children the rules of the road. However, the children slammed and smashed into each other, leading to frequent breakdowns and repairs. The bumpers were added later to prevent damage. Disneyland, however, quickly recovered and began to thrive. Within seven weeks, 
the park welcomed its one millionth visitor. By the end of the first year, more than three and a half million people had visited Disneyland. The park's success proved the critics wrong and validated Walt's dream. Today, Disneyland is more than an amusement park. It's a cultural icon, a place of nostalgia, and a testament to the power of one man's incredible imagination. Centralia on fire. Okay, kids, listen up. Don't play with fire. If ever there was a story that will poignantly drive this point home, it's this one. Let's delve into the extraordinary story of Centralia, Pennsylvania, the town that's been on fire for over six decades. Back in the 1960s, Centralia was a vibrant mining town. Nestled in the heart of Pennsylvania's anthracite coal region, the town was a hive of activity with miners heading off to work and children attending local schools. Everything changed, however, on May 27, 1962. On that day, the town officials decided to clean up the local landfill, located in an old strip mine pit next to the Oddfellows Cemetery. After the cleanup, they set the pit on fire, a fairly ordinary practice for the day. However, what they didn't realize was that the fire managed to reach an exposed seam of coal. Before they knew it, the underground veins were alight. The fire kept spreading through the labyrinth of abandoned mine tunnels beneath the town. Despite numerous attempts to extinguish the fire, from pouring water to flushing it with a mixture of crushed rock and water, nothing worked. The fire continued to blaze, not just for days or weeks, but for years. By the late 1970s, the threat had grown so severe that the ground was hot to the touch in certain places. The local gas station owner, John Lakaitis, recalls poking a stick into the ground only to pull it out on fire. But the town's predicament became really scary in 1981 when a 12-year-old boy, Todd Domboski, fell into a fiery sinkhole that opened up in his backyard. Thankfully, he was saved by his cousin, but this incident sent a shockwave through the community. In 1983, the U.S. government declared Centralia a hazard and began a massive relocation project. Residents were brought out of their homes and moved to safer locations. Today, Centralia is a near ghost town, with only a few stubborn residents clinging to their roots, despite the fire still raging beneath their feet for more than 60 years. Centralia, the ghost town on fire. As the smoke still rises from the cracks in Centralia's empty streets, it serves as a stark reminder of our enduring impact on the world and a stubborn fire that refuses to be extinguished. Skiophonic, an introduction. It was December 2022 and I was hooked. Like other geeks around the world, I had discovered ChatGPT by OpenAI and wow, what a revelation. While I'd heard Elon Musk discuss AI and even understood its algorithmic underpinnings, using ChatGPT blew me away. Its versatility, from casual conversations, generating essays, or doing research, kept me engaged late into the night. As an emergency room physician, I wasn't deeply tech-savvy, but I prided myself on learning and embracing new concepts. ChatGPT felt tailored for me, and it resonated with my creative side, something the world of medicine seemed entirely indifferent to. 
When new large language models like Google's Bard and Anthropic's Claude were released, I dived deep, comparing these models and testing their boundaries. I consumed AI news and tried to hone my prompt engineering skills. But as the initial excitement waned, I wondered how I could harness these tools for practical use. Recalling advice from successful entrepreneurs about only creating products they, themselves, would use, I came up with an idea. Allow me to share some background here. I'm passionate about exercise, but I'm also a serial multitasker, which is probably why working in an emergency room suited me so well. Whether I'm on a run, at the gym, or driving in my car, I'm always consuming content. Even when swimming laps in the pool, the headphones are in. My academic inclination drives me to continuously seek out knowledge. A mentor of mine once emphasized the importance of being a lifelong learner, and it stuck. It was AI that would help merge my love for learning and need for exercise. I began by tasking ChatGPT to draft an essay on Friedrich Nietzsche, a philosopher I knew embarrassingly little about. Without reviewing it, I converted the essay into an audio file using a text-to-voice tool. I did the same with other topics, and then hit the play button during a 30-minute run. In addition to my Nietzsche tutorial, I learned about the theory of relativity, Disneyland's early days, and a made-up language called Esperanto. My experiment had worked. The method was promising but still missing something. The essays felt too academic, and the robotic voice lacked character and emotion. My solution? Well, I combined the best parts from the language models, then added my own personal writing touch for relatability. The result was a true 50-50 human-AI collaboration. Finding the right voices for the stories was challenging until I discovered a company called Eleven Labs. Their text-to-speech model was astonishingly lifelike. By pairing my refined essays with this technology, I was able to produce studio-quality audio stories rivaling commercial offerings, all on my home PC. With my newfound digital partners, I got to work producing story after story. If I'd attempted this task only a year earlier, it would have required a team of writers, editors, and voice actors. The result was a perfect example of how AI could be not only entertaining but useful and productive. I named the project Skiophonic, combining the Esperanto word skio, meaning knowledge, and phonic, meaning sound of. You can hear the stories via audiobook, podcast, or even on a mobile app. Whatever the platform, I truly hope they enhance your life as much as they have mine. Thanks for giving it a listen, and who knows, you might get a little more interesting in the process. Credits. The stories, content, and narration in this podcast were created with the assistance of large language models like Bard from Google AI, Anthropic's Claude AI Assistant, and GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 by OpenAI. The background music was Inspirational Cinematic Trailer by Tailkeeper Music and Motivational Guitars by Clementi Skripnikov both from Pond5 Productions found at www.pond5.com. The narrator voices were produced in conjunction with Eleven Lab Studios at www.elevenlabs.io. Special thanks goes to my wife, kids and friends who provided suggestions and input throughout the project and put up with my incessant story writing over the course of 2023. Thanks, guys!
the end.